The Ascent of Board Games is a podcast in which we discuss the history and evolution of board game mechanics, concepts, and themes from the dawn of history to today's newest releases. We talk, we laugh, we pick on each other, and we occasionally get things wrong. But we hope to provide both entertainment and education to today's discerning podcast listener, you. Previously, on the Ascent of Board Games. Tie-in games. Something that is rather unusual in board games. The original media is good, and also the tie-in game is good. Conan is just trying to get by in this gig economy, okay? Lord of the Rings is one of those rare properties that actually has consistently produced good tie-in games. Godzilla Tokyo Clash, which is one of the best kaiju games out there. Dune, one of my favorite board games. Joe, which manifesto are you publishing first? The one on the post-scarcity economy and the boredom of Star Trek, or the one on Yodorowsky's Dune? And now, the dramatic conclusion of tie-in games that are actually good. Talking about reasonably popular intellectual properties, there was something that came out in 1977, and it was a little number called Star Wars. Never heard of it. Well, they've done a bunch of movies and a pretty good TV series, which I'm not going to talk about now because some people haven't watched all of the second season yet. All I'm going to say is that the end of the second season was pretty cool. But anyway, Star Wars, like many movies of his period, had a lot of really crappy tie-in games. But there have also been some definite gems along the way. The one that I particularly wanted to talk about is a pretty rare combination of a good game coming from a bad movie. Star Wars The Queen's Gambit, which is based on Star Wars Episode One, came out in 2000 from Rob Davio, Alan Roach, and Craig Van Ness at Avalon Hill. Basically, this is a two-player multi-front board game that depicts the whole ending sequence of Attack of the Clones. No, not Attack of the Clones. The Phantom Menace. Thank you. I've forgotten most of those films and most of their names. Can't blame you. You've got a big battle zone on one side between a bunch of battle droids and a bunch of Gungans, so you get to kill Jar Jar Binks, which is always fun. There's the lightsaber duel between um, Obi-Wan and Darth Maul and Qui-Gon Jinn. There is a skirmish between the battle droids and the queen and her guards. And then there's a fourth thing that I'm forgetting because I haven't played this in a while. The Starfighter battle? The Starfighter battle, right, exactly. Which is ultimately, now that I remember it, how you win the game. It's sort of like the end of the movie where they're cutting back and forth between all these different options. Each player has a series of cards that they can use to take actions on those various fronts. Ultimately, the goal is to get Anakin Skywalker and his ship in to blow up the totally not a Death Star. It's gorgeous. It's got like a three-level palace section in the middle where you're moving back and forth. There are tons of miniatures. There's a giant battlefield in the middle that's just covered mm -hmm. with them. Yeah. It's a surprisingly fun game because, as I say, the movie was not great. And it's been somewhat of a rail game for a while for a lot of people. You see copies periodically show up on eBay or the Geek Marketplace for well north of $100, which is actually not bad just considering the amount of miniatures and stuff you've got in it. They did release a few years back when they were doing, I think they called them the Black Series. Yeah. There was sort of a, a newer version of this, streamlined version of it, that for reasons I cannot fathom was marketed as Star Wars Risk. <laughs> Yeah, Risk Star Wars edition. And it doesn't really have anything to do with Risk, but it is sort of a collapsed down version of the same kind of setup where you've got a 
a land battle on one side and the starfighter battle in the middle and the lightsaber battle on the other side. But it's just a a neat two-player game where you're having to sort of balance what's going on in its various fronts and see how well you can commit to conquering one or the other. Why on earth don't they just retheme this as Return of the Jedi and do the exact same thing? (laughs) The Risk Star Wars edition is themed to Return of the Jedi. Oh, well, there you go. (laughs) I think my favorite thing about this game is just its table presence is a marvel. Because, like, the... I think it's the battle in the palace is a... Oh, yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. three-tiered board that comes up off the table, and you look at it and you're just like, I want to know what's going on over there. Yeah, honestly, when I was eight to ten years old and I had the collection of Star Wars action figures and that kind of thing, If I saw a board game in the future, that's what I would have wanted it to be. That said, there are also a number of other Star Wars games that are quite good. Rebellion is very good. Assault on Hoth. So good. That's an old cut, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that game is so good. Yeah, I never actually played that one. It was one of the ones that I always had on my wish list, but never seemed to make it through. I do really like hide-and-seek Star Wars. Oh, wait a minute. This is interesting. (laughs) So having looked up the Queen's Gambit, BGG is now obviously wanting to advertise me all the Star Wars stuff. Apparently, they did like an unlock series of Star Wars stuff? Yeah, it just came out. Oh, that's cool. Armada and X-Wing are both quite good if you're into the more tactical miniatures game. As is the skirmish game, the... Uh, oh, um, Imperial Assault, or are you Imperial talking about Assault. the new one, Legion? I haven't played Legion, but Imperial Assault was good, even if our GM cheated and never let me get my lightsaber. <laughs> but I'm not bitter, Sean. <laughs> I will say, though, one thing to be careful about with Armada, we did not, as a group, love the <laughs> campaign that they came out with. <laughs> Yeah, the Corellian conflict had some balance issues. <laughs> uh, specifically, there's no catch-up mechanic. So <laughs> yep. If you get stomped right. early, it's yeah. over for you. <laughs> yeah. And if you're playing against Joe... <laughs> Listen, all I said was, Jason, what's the trolliest list I could make? <laughs> what's the most broken thing I can play against my friends? In all fairness, I'll take it. Jason, whose sole purpose of playing this was to get us to play more Armada with him, should have known better. <laughs> fair point, fair point. <laughs> Let's move on to something a little bit more in the horror genre. Uh, this year, well, last year, I guess, technically, for when this episode's released. When you hear this, it will have been last year. Last year. But but really close to last year. Close it's to in all the future hearts. past. Prospera <laughs> Hall released a board game version of The Shining, designed by Prospera Hall, released by Mixlore. And... It has a lot of little picture-perfect things that kind of call out to the movie and really make you feel like you're in The Shining. You're visiting all the iconic locations. All of your friends are going crazy and trying to kill you with axes. It's great. (laughs) Yeah, and to be clear, it is very definitely the movie and not the book. Yes. It's at the rug. (laughs) Yes, the cover Mm -hmm. alone is kind of worth the price of admission. Gameplay-wise, it's fairly simple. Mm Mm-hmm. Basically, you're wandering around between rooms of the Overlook Hotel and trying to get enough tokens. I'm trying to remember what they call it. They're weapons. Uh, Enough points, functionally. Some of them are weapons, but yeah, you have to hold off corruption. I have thoughts later about the theming of the game versus the mechanics (laughs) of the game, but I'm going to let you finish your description first. You're going around, and every turn you draw an event card that may mean some rooms are blocked off or you can't use this area. And basically, you're trying to gather items from the available rooms that will help you stave off corruption at the end of the turn, which will come after some variable number of actions are taken. If you get corrupt, then you will attack one of the other players that is nearby. 
The objective is for everybody to survive until the end of the game. We played the intro version, and it's fine. The intro version is fully cooperative. I think it needs the sort of trader mechanic to get a lot more interesting. I agree. I'm not going to say it is a great game, but it is solid. And as always with Prospero Hall, it is The gorgeous. game itself, I think, is fine. I think my big problem with this is it could have been themed to many other IPs, and it would have been just as fine. I've been asking, does playing this game feel like the movie? And I think it does catch a little bit of the tension, but I don't know, just something about it did not really strike The Shining to me. And maybe that's just Hmm. because of my distaste for any hidden traitor mechanic that is not Battlestar Galactica. (laughs) Yeah. And again, we played the introduction not hidden traitor so i don't feel like we got the true feel for the game yeah we haven't gotten the full experience but i think the same criticism could go for a lot of prospero halls games they're very very simple games i mean they are designed for the family market they're classic the kind of games you would buy that would be just stupid roll and move for christmas gifts or whatever but prospero hall are actually games They're really simple, still kind of abstract. I think it's hard to get a really great theme with the rules stripped down that much. I think Horrified and Jaws are much better at their theming, as well as they have a Return to Jurassic Park game that's quite good. But uh, yeah, this one's a little more abstract. And I think a perfect example of, I think, why I feel this way is the weapon tokens themselves really could have just been numbers. Well, I mean, they functionally are, but the theming, the imagery is what mm-hmm. does it. There are meanings for when you get a weapon versus not a weapon, right? Because it does things. And if you go crazy, you do damage based on your weapons that right. you have. And I think, I it's think not that nothing. did not show up in the non-hidden traitor mechanic. Well, no, we it, just it had a good did, run of We yeah. just did well, I did spend at least two turns banished to the hedge maze. That's, That's right. True. Yeah. Get out. But again, it just like... Maybe it requires more playing, but I did not feel it. Yeah, I don't think we got the full experience, so take our thoughts with a grain of salt here. It is certainly a pretty game uh, with a relatively untapped IP. There hasn't been a lot of shining material. Although I seem to recall there was a print-and-play one on the Geek a while back that was pretty good. I felt like there was another shining board game that came out or is, is coming, coming out. out. There is. There's an escape roomy one coming, or maybe out by the time you see this in the future. It feels <laughs> like you know when when they release a movie and then somebody releases you know the Transformers versus the Transmogrifiers or whatever. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm seeing the escape room one. Let's go back to the future. I'm tired of this past nonsense. Or are, or are, am I? Are we talking about a Back <laughs> to the Future board game? I'm in. It, it exists. <laughs> Now, sadly, we're talking about a Battlestar Galactica board game, which is also a time travel TV show. Let's not, I mean, spoilers. (laughs) The board game released in 2008, designed by Corey Kozniak. We're so sorry. Released by Fantasy Flight, one of my favorite co-op board games. If anyone says, hey, let's play Battlestar, I'm down. There was a period in my life where we would play Battlestar Galactica, then watch an episode of the TV show, right? Like as the TV show was airing every Mm -hmm. week. Play board game, TV show, board game, TV show. So I played this board game a lot. Those were some fun nights. Yeah. And I will say that this is probably 
on the short list with Ascendancy and Dune for best representation oh, yeah. of oh, the yeah. media in a game. This oh, is so just very... so deeply themed. It hits it right on the head. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it a fair amount, so I don't know how much more we need to get into it, but it, it should definitely be brought up on this list. I will say one thing that I don't know if we've highlighted in the past, but in kind of thinking about this game, one of my favorite decisions that they made was when releasing expansions they made all of the add-on content piecemeal. Modular, yeah. Because then you can tailor the perfect game to represent the show. Because, like, let's face it, New Caprica is trash. Everybody should just set that on (laughs) fire. (laughs) There are some good bits in expansion. It's better than Galactica 85, so there. (laughs) Yeah, we've definitely come up with, as a group, the perfect combination of the bits that we like. And it is, I have a custom-printed playmat of it with all the great stuff on it. It's so much fun to play this thing. If I remember correctly, that was the one where they released the playmat that didn't even have the Caprica stuff because they sort of acknowledged that (laughs) nobody plays that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yep. So, speaking of a future in space where there are horrible non-human things trying to kill you... I was going to say, yeah, we basically combine the horror <laughs> in the sci-fi genre into Aliens, Another Glorious Day in the Core. This one literally just came out in December of 2020, uh, which is when we're recording this, by Gale Force 9, designed by Andrew Hutt. This thing was supposed to come out over a year ago, and for once, I don't know that it was necessarily Gale Force 9's fault. They had negotiated the IP contract with the company that got purchased, so they had to renegotiate <laughs> the entire contract for a game that's basically been done since then. But similar to a lot of the games we're talking about, this one's a co-op game. The idea is you're playing through the movie Aliens. You get to take on the role of literally any of the space marines in the movie, even the ones that no one remembers their names, <laughs> like Frost or Dietrich or <laughs> any number of them. But of course, you can also play as Ellen Ripley or Newt or, uh, you know, if you, really, if you really wanted to play as Burke, you can play as Burke. <laughs> But uh, you can either do a single session, what they call a bug hunt, where you're going into the complex and trying to murder all the aliens there, or you can do a campaign, which is basically playing through the movie through a series of connected scenarios. And the idea here is it's kind of similar to Space Hulk, right? So every turn, your Marines have a certain number of actions to take. I think it's two per character. They can do things like move around, interact with terminals. They can seal up doors. They can open doors. They can shoot at aliens. Each character has a, an aiming dial based on how good they are as a, of a marksman. And every time you fire during your turn, that dial goes down. Ah, uh, recoil. Yeah, yeah. So, like, if you have, like, an awesome gunner like Vasquez, she's got, like, a gunnery skill of, like, nine, I think is the highest. And her smart gun can do full auto. So you fire it, you iterate the aim dial down by one, and you roll a d10. If you roll that number or below, you hit and you kill the alien. And it, since her gun's got full auto, every time you hit successfully, you can shoot again. And again, Mm -hmm. and again, and each time you have to turn that dial down. So eventually you're going to fail and have to stop. But what makes the game kind of interesting is that the um, Space Marines, they share what's called an endurance deck. This deck is kind of the timer for the game, right? So as you take actions or as you draw cards into your hand, you're depleting this endurance deck. And sometimes you can take a rest action to restore them to the bottom of the deck. And sometimes when you use the card, it's discarded permanently. There's no way of getting it back. And so if you ever run out of cards entirely, your game's over. You're exhausted and overrun by aliens. Similarly to Space Hulk, the aliens spawn as little blips on the map. And only when you see them do you actually see what they are. And so you flip over the blip, it'll have a number on it. And that's how many aliens are in this blip. 
So it could be zero, it could be one, it could be up to five, right? So that's representing how big of an alien swarm you have to murder. And of course, the aliens get next to you, they can attack you, mm-hmm. they knock you down, and they hit you again after that, they capture you. <laughs> and you can even go on rescue missions where you try and save these uh, marines that have been stolen by the aliens. Thematically, I mean, it's literally following the movie. There's a scenario where you and Ripley and Newt are stuck inside the lab, and Burke has released the face huggers, and you have to fight off the face huggers long enough for the marines to Fucking save you. Burke, man. <laughs> All the characters are based off the movie's personalities, right? So, like, you know, Vasquez is good at shooting. Hicks is good at ordering people around. Hudson's good at tech. There's uh, expansions, of course, because it's Gale Force 9. There's expansions where you can drive around the APC <laughs> and shoot aliens with the turrets. There's a Alien Queen final battle you can have. There's a versus mode where you can play as an alien player versus the humans. It's got everything. They, they've kind of shoved everything in the kitchen sink into this game. And like most Gale Force 9 games, uh, it's fun. It's thematic. The rules could use some work <laughs> as usual. But uh, I'm really looking forward to playing it more. I got to play this at Gen Con a couple years ago, and we had an absolute blast with it. Lost, but we had a good time. I will say one of the things that concerns me about this game is that it's going to have to hold up to... Nemesis? Aliens. Oh, Legendary Encounters? Legendary Encounters, thank you. A deck-building card game, the full title. (laughs) Which I think is my favorite. That card game holds the tension so well. I think it might be like comparing Alien to Aliens, where like one is a suspense horror film, the other is an action thriller. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, I I think that's probably pretty fair. They definitely feel a bit different. But this one, I don't know. Like, I think this one's got a lot of interesting tactical moves you can do. I like the blips resolving into aliens. I Mm -hmm. think that's a kind of a cool mechanic because you never quite know. You just prefer this one because it has miniatures. I mean, (laughs) you're not wrong. But I will say I prefer this one. I haven't played it enough to make a decision. But um, they definitely went deep on this one because, like, they have the sentry guns from the director's Mm -hmm. cut of aliens. And they are awesome in this game. (laughs) They just just obliterate aliens as they should. And you can play as Bishop's ripped in half torso. So who doesn't like that? (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, Legendary is also an excellent game. Probably the best of the Legendary series. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely the best of the Legendary series. And certainly the best alien tie-in game pending whatever happens with another glorious day in the core. I will say, just sort of tangentially to the board game discussion, everything I've heard about the Aliens RPG... I've been buying all of it, and oh my god. It's supposed to be really good. Everything I've read from it, because I did pick up the the core rules, looks really solid. Friend of the show, Ben, is hopefully going to be running a one-shot of it for us sometime soon, and I'm super looking forward to it. So is the assumption that you're just making new characters every time? Because I can't imagine anyone surviving through an Aliens RPG. I was going to say, I think from what I've heard, it sounds like one-shots might be the way to go with that game. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Because your character might not survive more than one. Yeah, it's also the role-playing game that has added everybody's favorite hidden trader mechanic in, because everybody has like a private goal that they're trying to accomplish. So you may have somebody who's a corporate representative and is actually trying to capture an alien alive for science. That's fun. So, yeah, the way they deal with that is uh, there's some guys who are back in the uh, APV. (laughs) And it's, you know, if, like, your character turns traitor, the GM takes it, and you get one of the guys (laughs) in the APV. Yep, they have spare characters available. Absolutely. Let's keep this rolling. You're going to hear my voice a lot. I apologize. (laughs) We've reached the area where the movies and TV shows were coming out that are at the heart of Jason's childhood. Uh, And and my toy collection. And adulthood, sure. (laughs) Yeah, so... Keeping on the, well, kind of futuristic theme here. I've talked about this before. It's a Transformers trading card game from uh, Wizards of the Coast. I'd love to give some attribution to who actually designed it, but Wizards doesn't tell you that thing. 
Transformers is still one of my, my favorite toy lines. I grew up with them. I still collect them more than I should. Hmm. But kind of where the game shines is it really took a lot of these characters that people are at least remotely familiar with and tied special abilities to their character cards in a ways that made sense, right? In the game, you can transform between robot and vehicle mode on your turn, and doing so usually gives you a different ability or a benefit for doing so. And they really tied those skills to the characters that make a lot of sense. Like, for example, Wheeljack is like the inventor on the Autobots, and one of his modes, if you flip to that mode, he gets to draw extra cards when attacking if he's got weapons in his discard pile, because, you know, he's developed these inventions to help that sort of thing. The people who designed it... Again, I don't know who they are because they won't tell me. We're clearly fans of Transformers. Like, you have, in the first wave, you have exactly what you expect. Megatron, Optimus Prime, Bumblebee, etc., etc. But as the waves continued, they started getting more and more, let's say, um, nuanced. Like, you start getting things like combiners or robots that transform into cities or characters Hmm. that were, like, way late in the Transformers toy line where it's, like, right before the series gets canceled. You have things like (laughs) Headmasters and Target Masters, and they even started sneaking in some characters I had to look up because, like, oh, my God, I don't know what this is. (laughs) But all in all, they made a really, I'd say, fairly well-balanced game with some interesting mechanics. They really paid homage to a lot of the characters in interesting ways. Unfortunately, I have to report that uh, Wizards has decided to cancel the game. It didn't sell, like, Magic the Gathering, which nothing does, so I don't know why that's ever expectation. Uh, Pokemon. (laughs) Fine. That's the bar, man. Magic the Gathering and Pokemon. If it doesn't achieve that, (laughs) it's out. Uh, But they made it through, I think, five waves, so uh, that's pretty good for a game that they probably didn't have much faith in to begin with. You could probably pick them up pretty cheap on uh, eBay or people clearancing them out these days. But just uh, grabbing a box, you'll have plenty of things to keep you busy for quite a while. I literally know nothing about Transformers other than what I've gathered from the one Michael Bay movie I accidentally watched here. Oh, no. But I recognize you were very passionate about all those words you said. (laughs) So... Brian, I got you. There are robots, but they are, that are in also cars. Yes. Because they can also be cars. Right. Or semis. Cities. Or, semis. Or work uh, trucks. Boombox, as I recall. Uh, <laughs> yes, boomboxes. Sure. Cities. No, toasters are Battlestar Galactica. I remember that. <laughs> Jets. <laughs> Planets. Sure. Seems like there would be a scale issue there. A duck. Just, just if you look at a thing, ask yourself. So basically, anything that is a noun could be a transformer. A robot. <laughs> so they're and basically mimics in the future. Got it. Right. So the Earth is a robot, and we'll all continue now. Sure. <laughs> According to some Transformers mythology, yeah. Yeah, yep. Well, I apologize on behalf of Transformers fans, Brian. The only experience you've had is the live-action movies. That was a cruel thing to do I mean, Megan Fox was cute. That's that's all I took away from that. Ah, <laughs> oh, God, those movies. You're so passionate about this, Jason. Are there even more future robots that we can talk about? Yes, there are. In fact, Brian, more future robots to talk about. Again, drawing heavily on my childhood, there's been a release of a slew of Robotech games from Japanime Games recently. The one I want to focus on is one called Attack on the SDF-1. This one's a cooperative game where you are struggling to protect the, um, well, if you watch the original Japanese, the Macross from the forces of the Zentradi trying to wipe you out. It's actually surprisingly similar to Battlestar Galactica when you get right down to it. There's no hidden traitor mechanic, because that wouldn't make any sense in, in the context of the show. But the idea is you are what remains of humanity sitting on 
this big transforming battleship, and you're fighting off waves and waves and waves of Zentradi cruisers, uh, fighters that are trying to do enough damage to destroy you or do enough hits to the uh, the bridge to, to kill off the entire command crew, uh, in which case the humans will lose. And so you have characters from the show moving around the ship, activating different locations to build more Veritech fighters to fight off the Zentradi, trying to do research to get new upgrades for the ship, firing the Mega Pulse Cannon, commanding fighters that are flying around just like you do in Battlestar Galactica, right? Wiping out the Mm -hmm. Zentradi before they can commit their attacks. Again, what makes this so thematically appropriate is that you always feel like you're on your back foot because the original series, the humans were definitely at a massive disadvantage. It's kind of cool. Every round that you play is an episode of the TV show. So every time you complete a round, you look at the scenario book and it's like, okay, in episode two, this thing happens. So like, it's kind of cool. Like if you play through the beginning, it starts up with the Macross takes off. Two episodes later, the Macross transforms for the first time and wrecks the city inside of Macross because <laughs> they didn't realize it could transform. Oops. Then you fire your mega particle cannon and wipe out a whole bunch of Zentradi. And you basically are trying to survive through, I think it's five episodes per scenario booklet. But, I mean, it's got all the characters in the show. They all have unique abilities. They all have special once-per-episode capabilities they can pull off. And it's a lot of coordinating, hey, we really need to take care of these ships that are about to wreck us, so we're going to give the fire pilots this turn a lot more actions than other people, because you have a population that live within the Macross, and you assign them to different regions of the ship, and that determines how many actions the characters get on their turn. So you've got a lot of interesting decisions to make, and it's really hard. <laughs> I don't think I've ever won it, but it does a good job of like tying together what the characters' abilities are, they directly reference things that happen in the episodes, which is really kind of cool. I haven't seen anyone do that quite so specifically. And they even have cool things where, like, later on you might have these special events where Max is going up against Miria and he defeats her and then they get married because that's what happens in the TV show. Anime, everyone. But yeah, I don't know that I could say too, too much about it, mostly because I don't think anyone else here on the podcast has actually played it before. I played this one with you when we did the demo at Oh, that's right. We played Unplugged. the packs together. And it felt a lot like BSG. Pandemic or oh, BSG, yeah. where it, it again, it goes back to the what is the thing that requires the most immediate attention, which I mean, is a tried and true mechanic for a board game to be developed on because it creates tension that you must deal with. I have not watched Macross or Robotech and. After having played it, you tried to get me into it, and I have forgotten that in that era of anime, like, they just were this and uh, Gundam. We're just competing. Man, how awful can things get on Earth in the future? Oh, and Gundam definitely wins that competition. (laughs) Poor Australia. Go watch Gundam 80. (laughs) Hats off to Australia in the Gundam universe. Yeah, they can't catch a break. So we've gotten this far without talking about like a classic fantasy adventure game, which is kind of criminal. Other than, you know, the Lord of the Rings stuff? Yeah, I mean, but I mean, the games War of the Ring and Confrontation, The Hobbit, co-op. It's not, you know, a good old talisman move across the board, have adventures. And, and that's where The Witcher 2014, based on the series of novels and the absolutely amazing Netflix show that everyone needs to watch, period. This is published by Fantasy Flight and Portal Games, designed by Ignacy Trzwiszek. Trzwiszek. Thank you. Obviously, Polish designer, classic Polish novel series. And this, if you're not familiar, it's basically the Witcher half-demon wandering the world. He's not... Whoa, I'm being corrected here, and he's not half-demon. He is... He's a mutant who is uh, basically wandering... Thanks, Sandy. (laughs) 
<laughs> basically wandering the land, slaying monsters, having adventures. In this, you play either Geralt, who is the titular witcher, or uh, Dandelion, Trismarigold, or their dwarf friend, whose name I cannot remember. And basically, you're, again, traveling the map, having adventures. In this case, you have a quest card, you have clues, and you basically doing certain things. You choose from a quest deck that's appropriate to your style of play. Geralt's all about killing things. Dandelion's a bard who I don't think can fight at all, period. So he's stuck doing social interactions. But as you get these, you can turn them into basically resources to use to finish the quests. So it's a little more planning as far as how you're going to get your things, but with a big old quest and experience deck. Monsters will level up, and of course you get to level up as you have your adventures. It's pretty typical in that, but there's a little more thought that's involved in playing it. That's a nice, solid, competitive adventure game that has a nice online implementation that you can get for like a buck fifty on Steam during any sale. I will have to take a look at that. In 2019, Manic Games released Hellboy the Board Game. This one's kind of strictly based off the comic books. Basically anything you've seen in the comics is likely showing up in this game. It's a cooperative game, not surprisingly. You're playing as one of the agents of the BRPD, trying to do an investigation into a scenario, right? So this comes with a series of sealed cases that you open up, and it'll tell you how to set it up. It'll tell you what monsters and minions you're going to use in it. And you spend the whole first phase of the game exploring the location, looking for clues to try and figure out what exactly is going on. What kind of sets this one apart? The combat system is what you expect, and you're rolling dice that have different values. You've got your yellow dice, your orange dice, your red dice, and your black dice that increase in the number of successes that they have. And you've got a doom dice that you roll that could totally screw you over and remove your (laughs) highest scoring die. But where it gets kind of interesting is, unlike a lot of other games, they kind of try and balance out melee versus ranged attacks. Specifically, you know, you've got a character like Hellboy that's going to focus mostly on running up and punching things. But you could also get a character that has lots of guns. Well, the way you balance that out so that you don't just have people plinking away from rooms adjacent is that you have a cover system, which is kind of, at least in my experience, unique to a dungeon crawler kind like this, where the furniture in the room can take a certain number of hits as you take cover behind it when someone's attacking you from a distance. To make it even more fun, certain characters like Hellboy himself can pick up furniture and throw it at people (laughs) to do damage to them (laughs) or knock them over and stun them. Eventually, as you either run out of time or all your agents get knocked out or you get all the clues, it's going to switch to the final confrontation where you're going to fight the big bad. And depending on how many clues you got, you might get a benefit for defeating this final boss, or maybe bad stuff won't happen to you because you got enough clues. It's trying to mirror the way in the comics that they're always doing, you know, investigating something going on. And depending on how well they do at that, it might help them find the weakness of this monster or Rasputin that they're trying to defeat. It's a dungeon crawler. I really enjoy it just because it's got some interesting mechanics and the the Hellboy characters are pretty unique in terms of the way they all play out. It's just kind of a fun dice chucker for a co-op game with a couple of different mechanics I hadn't seen before. Much like Conan, this inspired me to read all the Hellboy comics (laughs) after I started playing it. I'm not quite as obsessed with Hellboy as I was with Conan, but uh, I had a good time with it. Hellboy's a he's a fun character with some interesting stories to tell. Yeah, the comics are really good. Is there a ton of miniature furniture? There is, yeah. It came with its own little miniature furniture uh, pack. <laughs> nice. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it's very satisfying watching Hellboy chuck a couch at somebody. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's all Mike Mignola art. He's uh, oh, he's cool. on board with it. Just recently, as part of a kind of an expansion, they even had a uh, solo campaign. You can play as a, a giant Hellboy robot. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the films, but it's nice to see the original comics getting some love. Yeah, his art is very distinctive, and that's mm-hmm. the, that's what they went with with all the design of the game. So it, it's pretty cool looking. I'm a big fan. Again, just never get to play it. Well, let's move on to a game that you should not buy new anymore. I just <laughs> It's so unfortunate. Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle, we've talked about it before in the show, was made in 2016, created by Forrest Pearson Creative, Kami Mandel, and Andrew Wolf, and published by Asmodee Games. And yeah, that's Prospero Hall again. Same people. They changed their name and branded. So. Ah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one reason that I wanted to include this on this list is, A, I think it came out in a time when Harry Potter was at its height or soon thereafter, but it does a great job of implementing legacy mechanics as a method of teaching rules, which I would like to see more stuff like that, especially because I think that that is a great way to get people interested in board games. I cannot tell you how many non-gaming persons I have tried to sit down at a game and they see that rule book and they're just like, nope. That's fair. This one, you sit down, there's like a page of rules, you start playing, the next game it introduces one or two more mechanics, and it does a great job of theming to the Harry Potter universe, you each pick a character, it is a deck-building game, so it's not like the best or most original game out there, but it also is simple enough that you can, once again, play with kids. This is currently one of my niece and nephew's favorite games to play. Overall, I think it's really good. It's just unfortunate that you have to buy it on the secondhand market now. Yeah, for those who aren't familiar with it, J.K. Rowling is sort of becoming a monster now. I'm not going to dive into the politics of it in too much detail, but we would prefer not to give her any more money, even though the IP is very popular, the game is good, but uh, yeah, it's a whole thing. Yeah, and it's fascinating, right? Because there are, I think, several, and this is, I think, a conversation that I've seen come up in many, many different situations now, where it's like, can you separate the artist from the art? And that is a deep philosophical question that I don't think we're prepared to answer here on this podcast. Yeah, between Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard. It is a topic unto himself, which is probably not the best use of a board game podcast, but uh, something to think about. That brings us to the game that actually kind of started us down this whole path, and that is Marvel Crisis Protocol. This was made in 2019, authored by Will Pagani and Will Schick released by Atomic Mass Games, which I don't know that they have any other IPs or... They have taken over Star Wars X-Wing and Armada. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. No, that's right. They they are... Are they part of FFG now? No, they're Asmodee, I think, owns them. But they oh, basically that's they also owns FFGs. Yeah, I think they basically have absorbed all the profitable things from FFG. <laughs> Which is not a surprise, because Marvel Crisis Protocol is actually doing really well, from what I've understood. It's got a strong following, and I think it's been selling pretty well. They've certainly released enough material for it. But this is a miniatures game that is just 
skirting that line between a board game and miniatures game. It's a miniatures game. I mean, it definitely is. But it's not like your typical 40Ks or um, Warhammers. It is actually closer to a game that you love, Brian, called Malifaux. Mm-hmm. It is a small-scale miniatures game. You You control three to five figures. Yeah, it's even smaller than Malifaux in terms of the team size. Yeah. And the actions that you can take are pretty straightforward, much like the FFG miniatures games. Its movement is all done through pre-made measuring tools. So they've got a cardboard stick that's a, a distance of one, and then they've got one through five. So if you've got a power that is range three, you just pick up the three ranged stick and put it onto your character and see what you can reach with it. The game is expansive. I think if you like customizing your strategies or mixing and matching team members to see what's effective, there's a lot here. Way more than I got into in my tutorial game. Yeah, just looking at it, it's like you're choosing like different factions. You don't have you can just have a pile of random heroes, but like you can have a group of all Avengers or all Wakanda heroes or all Guardians of the Galaxy, and they get sort of like team bonuses based on who's leading the team. Yeah, yeah. You also have like particular objective cards, I think they are, that you put in your deck that like are particular ways that you score points or make progress or specific things that you can do if you have this character on your team. And the the models themselves are really nice. Yeah, the miniatures are great. They are not pre-painted. Or pre-assembled, right? You have to... I don't think they're even pre-assembled. I don't think they are. So that is definitely a barrier of entry to anyone. That is why it's a miniatures game and not a board <laughs> yeah. game. Yeah. It's a box miniatures game. There is no board game here. Although it looks like a good skirmish game, but there's some crisis. I will yeah, everything say, I've seen about it is good. It does come with a bunch of terrain pieces that are also really nice from what I've seen. So like when you get the base box, it comes with a bunch of cars that you can set up and it is a skirmish game in a box. Yeah, and I will say that from what I've seen, the rules feel more board gamey. I mean, they're very clear about what happens in what order and how you set things up. Some skirmish games have a history of rules being a little bit nebulous here and there, yeah. but these seem to be pretty cut and dried, which I like because it produces arguments. Unfortunately, I'd say that this feels more skirmish game than a Marvel game, because effectively you're just assembling characters from the Marvel universe. They don't even have to be on the same alignment. Oh, weird. Right. Although the powers you have are pretty much in character. Yeah, that's true. But like, you could have a team that consists of Thanos, Hulk, and Thor, and they're a team. And Go. you win. <laughs> I think you just win then. <laughs> I mean, probably. But I mean, honestly, as far back as the Marvel comic universe goes, even before the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there are so many spinoffs and alternate dimensions and tie-ins and weird team-ups. It's not out of character. Sure. Right. I'm happy to write you a comic book where that team-up makes perfect <laughs> sense. I mean, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it already exists. But, uh... but it was a really fun game. I think the... Learning game that we played through took maybe two hours, so it, it moves at a good clip. If you are thinking about making the transition into miniatures games... Play Malifaux, but if you don't play Malifaux... <laughs> I'll set you up, Brian. You slam dunk it in. I think this is a good one, especially considering the popularity of Marvel right now. 
I mean, this is basically what any kid is going to do with an action figure. <laughs> They're just going to take their action figures and slam them together, and boom, you've got yourself Marvel Crisis Protocol. I don't have enough time to play the miniatures games that I already know, but I am really tempted by this one. It does look pretty good. So here's the all-important question, Mike. How do they handle line of sight? It was pretty forgiving. I think there were some instances of, like, you can't see over some terrain obstacles if they are taller than you. Okay. But for the most part, I believe, and Egypt is going to kill me if I get this wrong, (laughs) that it is, if you can draw a line from any part of your base to any part of their base, then you can see them. Okay. All right. So pretty lenient, it sounds like. Yeah, pretty lenient and with a minimum of exceptions. The other thing that I really like, and this is part of a flashback because Malifaux for a long time had a problem with terrain of different heights and that kind of thing. If your base cannot fit on a piece of terrain, you cannot stand on it. Yep. Oh, wow. Which I think is a nice, simple yeah. way to <laughs> deal with that whole thing. <laughs> yep. And then, like, also terrain is manipulatable within the game. So, like, I had the Hulk who could just, like, throw cars at people. <laughs> I was like, this is great. So, yeah, the individual characters felt like you were playing those characters. Chichip was playing with Killmonger, who, like, would run in and slice and dice and then run out or something to that effect. So they definitely, I think, nailed it on that front. And again, like, they are pumping this stuff out like there is no tomorrow. They're just releasing every character because, you know, Marvel is a whole damn thing right now. All right. Well, I think for almost any intellectual property you're interested in, we've hopefully talked about a game that you might enjoy. But I do want to do a quick whip around and ask everybody of the things that we haven't talked about here about IPs that don't have board games or don't have any good board games. Which one would you most like to see a good game of? Uh, And I'll start with Mike. You know what? I am absolutely shocked that we have not seen a board game version of the Great British Bake Off. You know, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I think it's just a matter of time. Like, is there even... I know there are cooking board games, but is there one specifically about baking? I mean, there must be somewhere. Have we found an untapped market here? (laughs) I mean, I feel like if Food Network gets in on this, I would play a a Cutthroat Kitchen board game. Yeah, there's some Iron Chef-y as well as some co-op kitchen-y overcooked Kitchen Rush kind of games. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there's lots about cooking, but like baking is a science. Yes. All right, Joe, what would you put on this list? Well, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up a game that exists already, but mm-hmm. isn't technically the <laughs> game theme. So specifically, I'm talking about The Thing, which is a great movie, and mm-hmm. Who Goes There is literally The Thing, but not a movie tie-in. Not from a legal standpoint. Not from a legal standpoint. <laughs> Legally distinct, but it's an excellent board game, and it definitely captures The Thing, but it's a fun game. Yeah, there have been several official The Thing board games, and I don't think any of them have quite gotten it right, but Who Goes There is pretty good. Well, that's based off the actual story that the movie is based off. The right? original right. novel, yeah. yeah. Jason, what are you feeling is missing out? It's not actually on our list, so I'm going to add a new one. But we were talking before, uh, Mobile Suit Gundam. Uh, it's one of my absolute favorite anime series. And uh, Wow, yeah, we don't have nearly enough space future robot games. No, we don't. We need more, clearly. <laughs> uh, especially with minis. I want lots of minis of Zaku's that I can blow up. Surely there's a Gundam board game out there. How, how could that not exist? Maybe in Japan. I haven't been able to find any here in the U.S. Huh. And I imagine if they are in Japan, they're probably from like 1979. So I don't think I necessarily want to play them. They released the One Year War in 2013, but you're right, it's a Japanese exclusive. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, I mean, <laughs> 2019 there's a lot of was uh, the Gundam the game, but also in Japanese. 
It's not a very auspicious name. Nah. Oh no, there's a trading card game? Oh no. Uh-oh. I oh have seen no. That. <laughs> you know, I think I might have actually owned some of these cards looking at that. I think I have played this card game before. Is it trash? I mean, probably. It came out in the wake of the uh, Magic the Gathering CCG boom. Everything, yeah. Let me put it this way. The starter boxes have Gundam Wing characters on them. Oh, so how do you lose? Well, you're fighting other Gundam Wing characters. Uh. So, Frank, what do you think we're desperately missing? It's a weird choice. I was just grasping. I came up with, you know, I would really like to play a Hell House LLC board game. This makes no sense to anyone except Sandy, who's probably no, rolling no, your right. eyes behind me, so I'm not looking. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a group of 20-somethings who basically get a haunted house and try setting up a walk-through haunted attraction. So, you know, a game where you're setting up, building, maintaining a haunted attraction in a haunted house. So you're trying to do this while not being killed. <laughs> I like that last part. (laughs) Sure. Seems good. It's actually a series of three movies. I don't know if the second and third were any good because they can't be. The first one is an okay found footage movie. Not great, but but a great premise. So yes, I want to see that game. And then for me, there are a couple that come to mind, but actually just in terms of recent stuff, I would really like to see a good Westworld board game. The first season was absolutely spectacular. Those seasons have been good. I just think there is a lot of potential in there for people not knowing whose side they're on and what their real objective is. So I think there's a ripe ground there for something awesome to come out of that. But Brian, how could you play a board game that looks like nothing to you? (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did there, Joe. But can we also go back to Future World? Because... Ooh. Ah, yeah. I mean, sure. Shogun World, all of oh, that. Yeah, totally. all of it. I want all of Wasn't that. Wasn't there like a, a Camelot one, too, in the original movie? Yes, yes, yep. there was. Yes. Yep. Medieval World, I believe it was called. Yes, I think you're right. The sequel had more stuff set in Medieval World, so it jumped back and forth between the various worlds. Yeah. So yeah, those are our favorite board games based on intellectual properties with the various limits and caveats that we talked about earlier. Probably there are some others that you like, so we'd love to hear about it. If, like Gigip, you have any cool ideas for episodes that you think might be interesting, send them to us. Post them on our website, ascentaboardgames.com. Visit us on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're theoretically on Instagram and Discord, though we don't use either of those that much. We even have a Twitch channel now, which someday will have some content as soon as we figure out what we want to do on it. And, of course, reviews on iTunes are always welcome. They help us out a lot. Anybody else have anything they want to finish off with here? Nope. Do you want to talk about Jodorowsky board games more? <laughs> no, nope. I no do. Time. Sorry, gotta go. All right, talk to everybody later. Stay safe out okay. there. Bye. Bye. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin McLeod via Incompetech.com. Full details can be found at AscentofBoardGames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast. And thank you for listening. I really need to wear pants, because otherwise I feel like I'm not a human being anymore.